Hello and welcome back to Die KulturmittlerInnen Deep Dive, experts on international cultural relations. My name is Tobias Rohe and I'm incredibly happy that you are here with me again. In this episode, we will be looking at decolonial perspectives in climate policy and climate debates. More specifically, I will be talking with my guests about how decolonial climate perspectives can be analyzed scientifically. And we will do this through the example of the Brazilian legal Amazon region. My guests today have published a study on the very topic supported by the Institut für Auslandsbeziehungen. It is entitled Analyzing Decolonial Climate Perspectives, the case of the Brazilian legal Amazon region. And it was written by Marina Caetano and Pedro Afonso Ivo Franco. Marina Caetano is an experienced international cooperation professional involved in projects especially within the environmental and climate agenda. And Pedro Afonso Ivo Franco is a Brazilian percussionist and consultant working across the cultural, creative and development sectors. Mrs. Caetano, Mr. Franco, it's a pleasure to have you here with me. Thank you, Tobias. It's a pleasure being here, Tobias. Now, colonial legacies and unequal power relations between countries continue to shape international cooperation, and they do so in climate policy as well. While actors in the climate debate seem to be aware of the colonial entanglements and their effects, the question remains, what is specifically being done about them? And with respect to the Brazilian legal Amazon region, how are actors from the region involved in climate policies? In your study, Mrs. Caetano, Mr. Franco, you have addressed these questions now. What is the goal of your research projects? What are you hoping to achieve with it? Well, we have five different goals divided in three blocks. The first block of goals, it's the general goal in which we are analyzing the climate international relations and climate policies towards the Brazilian Amazon through a decolonial perspective. And then we have two other more specific objectives that are related to the German international cooperation towards the region, also through a decolonial perspective, through a decolonial lenses. And the third one, it's if Germany has projects and programs related to the region which are connecting culture, education and climate. And the fourth and the fifth ones are recommendations related to creating formats of debate within the German cultural and education foreign policy that are embedding climate perspectives. How can we create these projects and programs connecting climate, culture and education through a decolonial and a bottom-up perspective? How do we conceive programs and projects and perhaps even policies that acknowledge the importance of doing things from the bottom up and with a more decolonial perspective. And would you like to achieve that these kinds of programs are being put into action? Yes, this is obviously our main wish. Uh, we have the role of raising the issue and trying to influence as much as we can the real politics. So uh, the German cooperation, the institutions, the stakeholders and organizations that are part of the cooperation. We know that that's not easy. It's a long process, but this is our 
ultimate goal, but obviously throughout the process, we also want to influence readers in general and other institutions to become a bit more aware of this connection between climate, culture and education and also aware of the colonial perspective that it's in great need. You state in your study that the decolonial perspective needs to be central to the global response to climate change. How are decolonial perspectives and global climate policies connected? So it is important to go a little back in the past and making an historical analysis of what it means colonial in terms of resource exploitation. So if you think about the countries, especially the countries in the global south that have been exploited through colonizations and through the colonization legacies, most of the countries in the global north, they develop themselves on top of resource exploitation for the industrial revolution. So for the consumption-driven economies that we have nowadays. So of course, there's a big link. And if you think about historically, the historical emitters of CO2 or the historical emitters nowadays, they are located in the global north. So for example, Brazil is nowadays the fifth largest emitter in the world, but it doesn't compare historically to other countries in the global north that have much a larger history as an emitter. So nowadays, when it comes to think about global climate governance in terms of negotiations and so on, of course, there are some clashes between those two mindsets of what needs to be rapidly changed and the differentiated responsibilities between those actors that need to have the change and need to have the climate action done. So there are different points of view. There are discussions on transitioning. And for example, I would like to bring one specific example on that. When it comes, for example, to energy transition or when it comes to transitioning, for example, public transportation, most countries believe, okay, we have to change to electric cars, for example. But where does the minerals that will supply the batteries for these electric cars come. So we are talking about critical minerals in Latin America. So we are talking of continuously exploiting resources in a region in order to achieve a few of the things that need to be done for global climate action. So this is one example of things that need to be put in perspective in order to have a fair and just transition. Hmm. So let's talk about your methodology. How did you approach the research with this connection in mind? What criteria did you set to collect and analyze the data? Well, we have a very multi-layered research, right? We are dealing with culture, education, climate, decolonization, foreign policy. So there are different perspectives and different actors, obviously, related to each of these perspectives. So we needed to create a methodology which started with desk research. We tried to find articles and studies that were talking about decolonization in the Amazon. And we perceived very immediately that we wouldn't be able to find materials written on this topic. So we decided to invest most of our time in the interview. So we have done 50 plus interviews with so many incredible and different actors ranging from the Brazilian embassy in Germany, the German embassy in Brazil, other government stakeholders in both countries, but also communities. Now we have been in the Amazon region last year, in December last year, in which we have done two roundtables, one in Belém do Pará, another one in Manaus. And we also have done some visits, technical visits to talk with Afro-Brazilian indigenous communities and considering multiple voices because we 
perceived and we realized that our research was a combination of ideas. Now, so we are basing ourselves on this collective intelligence to be able to deliver something which represent multiple views. And I think it's for us something that it's unstoppable to a certain extent because every interview we discover something new, we discover a new contact. So we will need now to finish the study next month. But we do believe that we are representing these views, these multiple views. And I think what I would like to add here is that the research is about perceptions. We are not here to analyze specifically the impact of, of a program or initiative supported, whether by the German International Cooperation, whether by the European Union, whether by any other country in the global north. We are here to hear the perceptions of people. How do they perceive this work? How do they perceive this program? How does this somehow impact their lives and their understanding on it? So we thought it would be very helpful to bring this kind of perceptions in order to have more transparency in international cooperation fields and in order to advance in some of the things we need to advance. There are also two other things that are important to be mentioned. Many people ask us about it. Why are you working with the Brazilian Amazon, the Brazilian legal Amazon, more specifically speaking? When we developed the research project, we soon realized that It would be necessary to frame it within the Brazilian legal Amazon, specifically speaking. Otherwise, we would be having to work with the other countries which also have the Amazon. And we also needed to focus on a certain amount of institutions from Germany which are active in the cooperation to have a bit more of focus in the research. And just to end up this part, I think why... The Amazon and climate is because the main emissions from Brazil come from deforestation differently from other countries that, for example, usually are in energy uh, emissions or industry-related emissions. In Brazil, most of the emissions come from land use. So that's why halting deforestation in the Amazon, finding ways of developing the region in a more sustainable way, it is very important to halt and to reduce Brazilians' emissions. And of course, it connects to climate change as a whole. Hmm. Now. Having talked about your critique of colonial entanglements in climate policies earlier on, what would a decolonized approach in climate diplomacy look like? First, we need to ask ourselves, is it possible to have such a thing in place facing so many power imbalances in this world? Our research is a seed for thought and a seed for provocation. Sometimes we take for granted that Western and the so-called developed countries, they are there to support us in the global south, in the so-called underdeveloped or in-development countries. But we are dealing with something that requires a deep structural change. And this structural change needs to start with changing our mindsets. So we are doing research which has a lot to do with foreigners raising. We want to make people aware of these power imbalances. We want to put a bit in the spotlight the power relationships that countries sometimes exert over another. And in the case of Brazil and Germany, it's interesting to mention that 
Brazil was a former colony of Portugal. And for this reason, many Brazilians and Germans think that there is not a relationship, a colonial relationship between those countries, these two countries. But we are uh, also talking about mental colonization, economic colonization, all these perspectives that are existing in this imbalanced relationship. So these are these are things we are provoking to see what this can unleash in practice. So you said that you want to plant a seed of thought, but do you think there is a way to ensure that decolonized approaches in climate policies can be institutionalized? I think civil societies worldwide, they are putting pressure on these topics. And we do believe, we do hope that countries are going to be put on the wall to talk about it and to admit certain things, to create reparation schemes. We have seen that in the COP. And with this awareness, with this changing mentality, we have this expectation that more and more things will be in place. It's a very idealistic, but I think we need to be also idealistic in this conversation. Otherwise, we will be watching things the way they are, and they are not leading us to a good direction. And as well, if you think about in the early past, right, like the past 30 years in the research, we also established a few milestones. So in 1992, we had the differentiated responsibilities. And then in Paris Agreement, we had a bottom-up approach stated in the agreement. We had much more conversations on climate justice, on environmental racism. So you see Things are moving and those discussions, they are in debate, they are being much more considered. And when you look at the work of the, the international cooperation as a whole, those questions are also stated. It doesn't mean they are uh, changing fastly, but it means that the debate is there and people are more aware of it. And what does that mean for international cultural relations? How can they support climate foreign policy? I think culture plays a crucial role in this discussion because we tend to see things through different silos, now, the silo of culture, the silo of education, the silo of climate. And I do believe it's very necessary to think more holistically and transversally. And in this transversal conversation, cultural institutions, they have a very, very important power to talk with people, to convince, to raise awareness, to bring people together, to connect people through means that are enjoyable, that are lighter. Let's imagine here a play at the street talking about the issue of climate change. It's very likely that a citizen commuting will stop, will see, and will get informed through this play or through this act at the street, much more than stopping at home and reading an article, an academic article, etc. So I think culture has a a power to deliver the message, to conceive a message, to influence people and to bring people together. Let's take a look at the political context of your work. You started your study in a time of political change in Brazil and in Germany. The study started in August 2022, while Jair Bolsonaro was still Brazilian president and it was delivered after Luis Inácio Lula da Silva was elected. Did this impact your approach? 
So it did not directly impact our approach, but it definitely brought more reflections. And while we were writing in January, for example, the Chancellor Olaf Scholz went to Brazil and we're talking about international cooperation, advancing in a few topics with Brazil and brought ideas to the table. So we were like, okay, like we cannot add anything because there is a time frame that we need to follow for this research. But it definitely brought us the attention on how things rapidly change when there's political will. So for example, the Amazon fund, it was frozen for three years, which is a very important mechanism of the international cooperation supported mainly by Norway and, and Germany, was back into action in, in just a few days. Not a few days, but in a, maybe in a few weeks. Other countries are coming to support the fund. So It is very impressive how political will might really change. It doesn't necessarily mean that in Brazil things will change fast into climate action, but it definitely means a more open dialogue for international cooperation, and especially within Germany, which is a historical partner of Brazil in environmental projects and climate projects. And I think it is a very good timing for reflecting on what worked, what didn't work in this partnership, and what could both countries improve and learn from the past. Talking about this relationship, how can Germany strengthen its partnership with Brazil when it comes to environmental and climate issues in this potentially new phase? Yeah, that is, I think they already started like jumping, like Lula started running as president in the beginning of January. By the end of January, Chancellor Scholz were there with a big delegation. And every month there is a new German political delegation or business delegation coming to Brazil. So there's a lot of interest in exchanging and learning from each other what are the next steps of this cooperation. So this is the first thing and it's already being done. It's the dialogue. There is a role for Germany, but there is also a role for Brazil, which is position themselves. What do we want in terms of cooperation? So what is important for our priorities? And I think one thing that is very necessary in terms of legacy of international cooperation is connecting it to the public policies Brazil needs. So for example, deforestation. So it comes in innovation. So things that the German international cooperation could support, but in terms of leaving a legacy, not leaving, as we said, that skeleton, not leaving a legacy of a two-year project that when the international cooperation is out, this project finishes because there's no sustainability to it. So I think thinking on the long term is very important in understanding what the priorities of the country connect with the priorities of Germany. I think this would be my, my guess. Mm -hmm. So that's politics and economics. And what about researchers? How can they in general help reduce power imbalances in international cooperation? I think the first thing is that we have to consider there is power imbalance in research worldwide in which you have much more articles coming from the global north. For example, in climate, most of the research being done is performed by the global north. So, of course, it has an impact as well in the global climate policies because it's basically with the perspective, not only, but it comes mainly with perspectives from the global north. So it's very important to consider Global South researchers in the conversations, in the debates, in, in Congress and conferences, but specifically being, bringing reflections, proposition reflections into the research and trying always to connect with real life. Because we know that sometimes in academic research, you are working on something, in a very specific topic, and then in the, by the end of the day, it ends up in a drawer after being reviewed. And it's, it's only for a very small audience. So I think the role of the researchers is to bring light to what they are doing, try to adapt the language to reach an, an broader audience. Connecting it even more to the region we are focusing, that's the Brazilian Amazon, 
we perceived during the research that researchers and people doing academic work from the region are also somehow undervalued internationally, but also within Brazil. We usually have researchers and consultants and the so-called experts coming from Rio, coming from Sao Paulo and Brasilia, and these are the ones usually talking about the Amazon. And there are many, 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 many good people in the region that are wishing to represent themselves, that are wishing to have a say in this whole conversation about climate policy, about climate relations, about culture, about education. So one of the things we are recommending and advocating is that Germany can focus even more programs towards the region, directly to the region, so that both sides cooperating with each other will have a better understanding of each other. And we are pretty sure that this could be very beneficial for both sides. This were Marina Caetano and Pedro Afonso Ivo Franco on their scientific analysis of decolonial perspectives on climate policy in the Brazilian legal Amazon region. Thank you very much for this enlightening conversation. Thank you for Thank having you. us here. Thank you to be. I hope that you enjoyed this deep dive episode of DekulturmittlerInnen, and I would be delighted if you tuned in next time when I will be talking to more experts on international cultural relations. If you liked this episode, don't hesitate to share it with your friends. To make sure that you don't miss out on future episodes, subscribe to DekulturmittlerInnen right away. You can do that wherever you listen to the shows of your choice, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Deezer or Amazon Music. And while you're there, don't forget to listen to our regular episodes of Die KulturmittlerInnen with dozens of in-depth conversations on the topic of culture in foreign policy. If you want to check out the whole study or learn more about IFA's Forum for International Cultural Relations, you will find useful links in the show notes. For more information on our organization IFA, Institut für Auslandsbeziehungen, visit our website at ifa.de. That's all from my side. I say thank you for listening. My name is Tobias Rohe. See you next time. <laughs>